I miss having you inside, but you know what? I, I thought last week, and I prayed real hard this week, and I thought, man, I had somebody confirm that they could hear us at their home a half a mile away. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, there's a lot of people who may not decide to come to church this morning, but they may be outside because it's a pretty day. And they're going to hear the church of God worshiping because guess what? We're not confined to a building. Church never has been confined to a building. We just kind of put ourselves there. The church is supposed to be mobile, supposed to be active, supposed to be out and about and reaching lost people. And through the songs that you sang and through the word that's going to be proclaimed, there's people within a half mile radius of us who are finally hearing the gospel maybe they've never heard it before. And I pray that they hear with clarity. I pray that they hear and the Holy Spirit of God touches their heart and they come to know him before it is everlastingly too late. You see, I want to share a message with you this morning. It's this kind of different. I think you'll be okay with it. What do we do when troubles arise? What do we do whenever it seems like everything is, is before us, discouraging, down and out? We kind of have that down and out frown on our face, don't we? We kind of fail from time to time. We kind of get down in the dumps. And we as Christians, man, we have something to be joyful about. We have something to be exciting about. We know that heaven's going to be our home one day. We realize that we are no longer under the curse of sin. But so many times we walk around defeated. And I want to encourage us today not to do so. Hopefully you get my water. Thank you. Just threw that one in there. And so the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 verse 2, it says for us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials and temptation. Anybody going through a trial right now? Anybody struggling with something that's going on? Maybe you don't know whether you're going to be able to work next week or maybe you don't know whether you're going to be able to employ people next week. Maybe you don't know when this stimulus is going to be cut and you're going to be able to use that. Maybe you don't know, you know, what's happening, what's going on. Listen to me. God knows. And we need to consult him and we need to go to him and we need to count it all joy when we go through various trials and temptations. It amazes me that Christians, so many times we show little strength in times of adversity. We show little strength in times of discouragement. We lose a job. We go through a broken relationship. The death of a loved one or an unseen, unforeseen illness comes and takes control of our life. Maybe a failure through a temptation. Possibly these kinds of things, an accident that we weren't counting on. Or maybe something like the coronavirus has got us down in the dumps and we shouldn't be there. But we allow circumstances and situations to get us there and we take our eyes and our focus off Jesus. Like, like Peter when he stepped out of the water to walk to Jesus, as long as he kept his eyes on him and he kept his face strong, he was walking. But as soon as he looked at the winds and the waves, he started to sink. And a lot of us right now are we're walking but we've got our eyes on everything around us rather than realizing that Jesus is in control. He's right there ready to say, grab hold of my hand. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your focus on me. It's human nature for us to be worried. It's human nature for us to be discouraged. It's human nature for us to get down and out. But listen, it's not Christian nature. Did you hear me, church? It's not Christian nature. We shouldn't be defeated by the things of this world. So I want to encourage you. I want to equip you this morning. Hopefully that you can rejoice when there seems to be nothing joyful going on. That you'll be able to have joy in your life. It's not something you can do in your own strength. It only comes to the power of Jesus Christ living inside of you. And you may be here today and you may not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you may be defeated and you may be overwhelmed. And life may be just crazy and miserable right now. 
I'm here to tell you that if you're coming to know Jesus, I'm not saying your life's going to turn around just like that, but I know one thing your eternity is. Your eternity will change immediately because he'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. He'll start building you a mansion and everything's going to be great for you. So if you have your Bibles in Romans chapter 5, if you don't mind standing in honor of reading God's Word, in Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at the first five verses. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He's hoping to get there before too long. And he says, Therefore, having been, past tense, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Father, we thank you for the truth of the reading of your word. And God, I pray that you will give us the opportunity to rejoice today, to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Why? Because, Lord, we have heaven if we're a believer. And God, that in our rejoicing, a lost and dying world can come to know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that you'll touch our hearts and that you'll change our lives today. I pray, God, that you'll give us hope, that you'll give us encouragement, that you'll give us exactly what we need. And so, Lord, I thank you for the time of worship. I thank you for the opportunity to come before you. I thank you that you love us and, God, that, that we can approach your throne boldly and that you welcome us in, that you want to hear from us. And, Lord, maybe that's what you've been trying to do all along. And now you've got all the sports taken off the TVs. And you've got everything that could cause us to be away from you. And, Lord, now there you are waiting on us to be still and know that you're God. Lord, may we take advantage of this time. May we humbly come before you. And God, receive from you a blessing that we've never seen or heard of before. Father, I pray now, asking God that you change hearts and lives today, that you start with mine. I ask you, Lord, now for the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable to you, O God. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So to rejoice. Why? I think we need to have joy in our justification. If you see right here in verse number one, the Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't like to have a lot of enemies. And the number one enemy that I don't want to have is God. But if I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, then I'm enemy number one on God's list. I'm against him. You're like, there's no way that I'm in the enemy of God just because I don't know him, because I don't serve him. Well, listen to me very carefully. In James chapter 4, 4, it says this, adulterers and adulteresses. Do, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And whoever wants to be friends with the world makes himself an enemy with God. You see, if we choose something other than Jesus Christ to be Lord in our life, we've all of a sudden exalted something before a holy God. The first commandment said to have no other gods before me. And so for us to be able to have joy in our justification, we've got to realize what justification is. Justification is when God looks at us and he says, man, it's just as if you've never sinned. Not because you're a good person, 
Not because you give to the church, not because you come to church, not because you're active, not because you love people and you love your neighbor and you're doing all these things, but no, you're justified because you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. And so God says, I look at you and I don't see your sinful, nasty life anymore. I see the blood of Jesus has been applied. And I look at you just as if you have never sinned. The Bible says we have been justified, past tense, because we know Jesus Christ. Paul's writing to the church here. And he says, because of our justification, we have peace with God, not in and of ourselves, but through Jesus Christ, the one who paid our sin debt. Now we have peace with God. And so we've got to think about what is this all about? Why should I joy in my justification? Well, prior to salvation, we're enemies of God. Now we know Jesus Christ. What's the amazing thing about Jesus Christ? Why do we need to know Jesus Christ? What's the point in having Jesus Christ? Why is it such a name? Why is he such an integral person? Why is it that history dates to him and dates from him? What is this thing about Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus is the Son of God who came and lived on this earth a perfect sinless life and gave himself so that you and I could live forevermore. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that Jesus lived on this life. He never sinned. But when he went to an old rugged cross, he took your sin and took mine. He took our place. He exchanged his life for yours and for mine so that we could be justified. You see, Jesus paid all, not just some, not a down payment. No, he paid all of your sin debt mine on Calvary's cross. He wiped it out. He eradicated it. He took care of it. And when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's paid in full. It's been stamped. And our heart's been stamped, paid in full. Jesus, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, is our propitiation. He is the appeasement. He satisfies God's payment for sin. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we're going to pay for our sin debt one way or the other. We can either pay for it with our life, or we can trust Jesus Christ who's already paid for it, and then it's never held against us. He's bought us off. He's ransomed us. He's redeemed us. And so we need to have joy in our justification to realize that, that man, God looks at me and he sees my life all messed up, all screwed up, all everything that I can be that's wrong. He doesn't see that anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And now he sees me as a saved individual, a changed individual, not because of me, but because Jesus Christ. And that's something to rejoice about. We should have joy in our justification, but we also should have glory in God's grace. In verse number two, it says, though or through whom Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We need to glory in the grace of God. Well, well what's grace? Well, let me just tell it to you like this. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. You can use a little acrostic. We get everything that God has all because of Jesus Christ. It cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. But thank God he was powerful enough to, to resurrect himself out of hell. To overcome death, hell, and the grave. So that we could have God's grace extended to us. It's a picture of God reaching down his hand saying, if you'll take hold, I'll save you. I'll change you. I'll pull you out of the muck and mire of sin. I'll pull you out of the depths of hell. And I'll give you a life that's evermore and forevermore and forevermore. And we can reach out and we can grab hold of the hand of God and receive his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells it like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. 
You see, we should glory in the grace of God because listen to me very carefully. God loves you. God loves everybody. He loves everybody that's ever been created. He loves the people who are damned to hell. He loves the people who are in heaven. He loves the people who are wrong, who are murderers, who hate people. He loves all the lost people. He loves all the saved people. He loves them all the same. But listen to me. It's not God's love that saves you. It's his amazing grace. And we should glory in the grace of God. But then the scripture doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. In verse number three, it tells us this. It says, and not, not only that, but then we should also glory in our tribulations. Now, how many of y'all are going through a tribulation right now? How many of you are going through a trying time? What's a tribulation? A tribulation is uncertainty. It's unpredictable happenings. It's trials. It's changes. It's pressures. Anybody going through that right now? Anybody going through some uncertainty? Anybody going through the change of life that makes no sense because all of a sudden we've got a mandate from the governor starting tomorrow at 5 o'clock and we are confined to our houses? Has anybody got some change and some unpredictable things happening about how am I supposed to, is my job necessary, am I essential or not? Boy, you're talking about really hurting somebody's feelings. To find out that you're not essential because your job is not essential blows my mind that we can categorize things like that. Is it a good thing? Yes. We don't want people to get sick. We don't want people to die. But it's a hard way of putting it. And so we're going through these tribulations, and Paul tells us that we need to have glory in these tribulations. We need to have glory in our tribulations. Look, when there's uncertainty, we need to triumph because God's in control. We're not in control, folks. I don't care what you try to do. I don't care what you try to, to do to try to make life different, better for yourself. It's going to end up failing. Because God's ultimately in control. You can't add a second or a day to your life. And if your days are written so long, guess what? You can try to end them, but it's not going to happen. I started reading up on people who commit suicide. Not because I'm a crazy, nasty fanatic. But you'd be amazed at how many people fell in their suicide attempts. You know why they fell? Because it wasn't their time to die. They tried to play God and God said, no way. I've got more time for you. You may think I'm crazy for thinking that. But I believe when the Word of God says that He has our days numbered, that He has our days numbered. He is still in control. You see, when we don't know what the outcome is going to be, we need to triumph because we know who holds tomorrow. I don't know about today, but I know who holds tomorrow. Today has enough things going on that we can worry about today and don't even have to worry about tomorrow. Listen, God knows what's going on tomorrow. He knows what's going on the day after that. He knows what's going on the day after that. He knows the future. He knows every aspect of it. He's in control of it. And we need to triumph, realizing that this, what these tribulations that are coming my way, it's God's bigger than that. I'm under God's control. I'm in God's authority. I'm protected. When things occur that we don't expect, we need to triumph before our hope is in our future. Our future is heaven for the believer. When trials come, we need to triumph because Jesus stands as our defendant. And when we are overwhelmed by the pressures of this world, are the pressures in this world real? Absolutely. When we're overwhelmed by the pressures of this world, we need to come to realize there's a passage of scripture for that. In 1 John chapter 4, 4, the Bible says this, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit resides in you, and he is the third person of the Trinity. He is all God in every way, shape, or form. He is more powerful than anything that stands in this world. He's more powerful than Satan. 
and we can triumph over our tribulations. Why? Because God is in control. And there in verse number three, the Bible says this, it says, and not only that, that we should glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people struggle with perseverance today. There's a lot of people, if they don't have instant success, they're really ready just to give up and throw in the towel. They're ready to change whatever they want to do. I was reading a study uh, about people going to college. My daughter's in college, so I'm kind of interested about what goes on in college. And 75% of the people who go to college change their major three times. Why? Because there's uncertainty. Why? Because maybe they didn't succeed. Maybe they didn't want to persevere. Maybe it was a little difficult and they thought, you know what, something else over here is easier, so I'm going to take that path. And we think that's the easy way in life. We have a little bump up in our marriage. Us and our spouse don't get along. We don't see eye to eye. We look at them, you know what, you can leave or I'll leave, but whatever, you know what, I, this ain't working. And we call it quits. And then we come to a tough time in our life. We're like, God, where are you? And he's like, I'm here. I've been guiding the way. I'm holding your hand. I'm carrying you through it. And like, God, I'm tired of this. It seems like everything comes again. We want to turn our back on God. We want to give up on God. But he's still there. We need to, to praise in our patience. Why? Because patience is what perseverance is. Patience is endurance. It's calmness. It's encouragement. It's inner strength. It's consistency. So we need to praise him. Praise him in your endurance to fight the next battle. Why? Because this battle's gonna pass. You can read all through scripture and it came to pass. This is gonna pass. Something worse is gonna come along. Did you hear me say that? Something worse is gonna come along. Yeah, you know how I know? Because the book tells me it's gonna happen. Bible doesn't always promise roses. They don't always promise everything to be perfect and great in our life. There's going to be another day, and that day is going to be worse than today. But guess what? We can have patience in knowing that God's in control, and we can praise Him. There's a group called Casting Crowns, and they wrote a song to praise Him in the storm. I will praise Him in the storm. Can we lift up our hands and praise Him in the storm when life seems to be falling apart all around us? God, I praise you. I thank you because you're in control, because you're in the center of the storm. Ryan Stevens wrote a song called In the Eye of the Storm. It doesn't matter that as long as I'm in the, in, the, in the storm and with God, guess what? In the eye is peace and calm. And so we can praise him in, in our, our patience, in our endurance to fight. We can praise him in the calmness when life takes a turn for its worst. I'm reminded of a story that I read about a 12-year-old boy. He was in a bad automobile accident. He had a rare blood and there wasn't very much blood in the hospital in which he was in. And the doctor started testing everybody in his family and he had a four-year-old brother. And they came to his four-year-old brother and they said, look, you have the right blood type to save your brother's life. We're going to do a blood transfusion. We're going to take blood out of your body and we're going to put it in his body and your brother's going to live. And the little four-year-old boy said, that's great. I love my brother. Do whatever you got to do. And so the doctors come in and they get the two beds beside one another. 12-year-old brother's over there and the, the four-year-old's over here and they start running this transfusion. And the little four-year-old brother looks up and he says, I'm giving life to my brother. When am I going to die? You see, he didn't understand what was going on. But he could praise the Lord in his calmness, realizing he was going to be giving life to somebody else. How many of us in this world go through life thinking that I'm more important than somebody else? 
How many of us realize and think, and you know what, I'm better than those people. Those people are lost. Those people are crazy. Those people are not my friends. I'm more important. I need to step up to the front of the line. I need to be served first. The sad thing is we know where we're going to spend eternity, and only God knows where they're going to spend eternity, and we should be willing to take a back seat and show them the love of Christ so that they can come to know him. We need to praise him for the courage to stay, take a stand. To take a stand for, for Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you will confess me before your fellow man, Jesus was talking to his disciples, then I will confess you before the angels which are in heaven. But if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. And so we need to praise him for the ability, the courage to take a stand for him at work, in our homes, in our recreation, in everything that we do. We need to praise him for the inner strength that he gives us. We've got to realize that the blood of Jesus Christ is stronger than, the, than anything that Satan can throw against us. And because the blood of Jesus Christ has been uh, applied to our life, then we have power over Satan. We have power over sickness. We have power over sin in the name of Jesus Christ. And we need to praise him for his consistency. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that he's a never-changing God in an ever-changing world. This world's going to change around us, but God never changes. His love for you never changes. His expectation for you never changes. His grace for you never changes. His mercies are new every morning. He is the same God today that he was at the beginning, and he's going to be the same God at the end. And we need to praise him for his consistency. The Bible says, going on, in chapter 5, starting in verse 4, it says, Knowing that perseverance creates character. What's character? Boy, that's something that's missing today, isn't it? A lot of people don't have character. A lot of people don't have integrity. A lot of people don't have these things. As I studied this word, as I looked at it in the, in the original Greek, it gave me the word experience. For the Lloyd Workman, 70 plus, we're just going to say years old. He's got a little more experience in life than I do. Some of us have a little bit more experience than other people. Young people, I'm here to, here to tell you that your mama and daddy has more experience in life than you do. And they're not as dumb as you think they are. They don't want you to say, make the same mistakes they did. They love you, they care for you, and they try to encourage you. But in your stupidity, may I say, you go on and say, oh, I know more than they do. And then you get yourself in trouble. And then guess who you come running back to? Mommy and daddy. The way it works. But this word experience, that the perseverance, when I go through a tough time, when I have the patience to endure a tough time, it creates experience. It creates integrity in my life. And we need to exalt God through these experiences, through these happenings, through these proving events and trials and circumstances. You see, when things just don't make sense, we need to exalt Christ so that we can be an example of him to a lost and dying world. You see, the thing that blows my mind is when tough times come our way, the first thing the Christian does is starts looking like the world. And the Bible calls us a peculiar people. We're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to go through these trying times, not necessarily with a smile on our face, but saying, you know what? God's got this. I ain't worrying about it. Why? Because worry is a sin. Well, a lot of us sin a lot. Just by that one thing called worry. And to realize, God, you've got this, and I'm going to live for you, and I'm going to exalt you, Jesus, thanking you for that last roll of toilet paper. Some of you might have to go back to the dark ages and start washing some things, right? Thank you, Lord, that I have power today. 
Thank you that the weather's warm and I can take off some clothes and have to put them on. Thank you for a fire. Whatever it is, God, I know things don't look good, but I'm going to exalt you so the world can see you and me. It's that Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God, I don't have anything except you give it to me, and I'm going to exalt you because it's all yours already. Thank you, God. I love you. The other thing we need to do when events occur without expectancy, when we didn't realize they're going to come our way, we need to exalt Christ so that it brings hope to those around us. I was reading a story about a young man whose wife was in a car accident and she had fractures, 42 fractures in her face. And they brought in the best doctors, the best plastic surgeons to reconstruct her face and do everything that they could. And through 30 sun surgeries in a period of about three and a half months, they finally opened up her face to where you could see it. And it looked pretty good. I mean, she was beautiful in every way, shape, or form. But the thing was, her mouth was crooked. They couldn't fix it. There was some nerve damage. There were some muscles that were cut and severed. And they couldn't get them to fuse back together. And she had this crooked thing on her face called a mouth. And she looked at her husband. And she said, I'm ugly. I know that I am. I know that I'm ugly. And you can leave me. I thank you for being by my side, but I'm never going to be what I was because of that accident. And I'm sorry that accident happened, but I can't change that fact. And if you want to leave because I'm not who you married, because I don't look the same, I feel you can. And he looked at her and said, honey, I love you. I said, death, till death goes far. And he went and he took his mouth and he wrangled around the best that he could. And he pressed his lips against her and he said, guess what? Our kiss still works. Our kiss still works. You see, if you want life to happen, if you want life to go on, if you have a desire to continue to live for Jesus Christ, when, when crazy things come our way, we can make a way if we desire it enough through Jesus Christ. When circumstances arise and we feel we just can't go through, we need to exalt Christ because He promises to never put more on you than you can bear. How many of you feel like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders right now? How many of you feel like you don't know which way's up, which way's down? You feel like you're in a deep, dark valley of death and you're just not coming out of it? I want to share a story with you about a guy who had a dream. And in this dream, he, he was called up to heaven and he was there with God and he was able to look back at his life and he could see this, this his life and he could see his life with God and he could see two sets of footprints walking in the sand and then all of a sudden there was one set of footprints and he looked and he turned to God and said, God, it's in this toughest time of my life that I saw only one set of footprints. Why did you leave me? God, why did you leave me here? God looks at him and said, son, I didn't leave you. During that time, I picked you up and I carried you through. You see, when life makes no sense, when circumstances arise and we don't feel like we can go through them, God's carrying us through them. And we need to exalt Him in all of those things. Finally, we need to honor Him with hope. We need to honor Him with hope. The Bible says that character produces hope. Now, this hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What is hope? Hope is anticipation. It's aspiration and expectation. So in your anticipation of Christ's return, we need to honor him by keeping his commands. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands in John 14, 15. What does Jesus command us to do? The first thing he says is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To make God number one, to love him first and foremost in your job, love God. 
in your family, love God. In your exercise, love God. In your recreation, love God. In, in whatever you do, God's to be first place. And you need to have a love for Him. And then the second commandment is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And God said, if you can do those two things, you can keep everything that's in the book. We can love Him and love each other. Listen to me, folks. So many times we try to love each other without loving God. We try to make our horizontal plane without a vertical plane being right, and it's not so. It can't happen. There'll be a failure somewhere along the way because, listen, I'm going to let you down. Your spouse is going to let you down. Your best friend's going to let you down. People will let you down. Newsflash. People let you down, but God never will. And when our relationship is right with God, when the vertical plane's made right, the horizontal plane can be made perfect. We can know how to love people. We can know how to love people. When your aspirations of winning souls, we need to honor Christ by loving and caring enough and praying relentlessly for those to be able to receive salvation. Jesus gave a command to his church in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go therefore into all nations and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. For lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. You see, he made a command for us as the church to go out and to win lost people. He gave a command for us to have enough love for people who don't know him to live in such a way that we can rejoice when there seems not to be any joy because we have a hope of heaven and we want them to go with us. And we ought to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ who knocks on that door and says, I love you, God loves you. And listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to be eternally separated from God. But he made a way, he made a way through Jesus Christ. Will you come to know Jesus Christ today? He will give you hope, he will give you peace, he will give you joy when there seems to be no joy. In our expectations of others, anybody ever been let down by somebody? I'm the only person? Okay, I let myself down, but... I've been let down by a lot of people in my life. Yeah, I see some hands going up. In our expectations of others, we can honor Christ by forgiving and forgetting. You see, forgiving means, you know what, I don't hold that against you anymore. I no longer hold that offense against Yes, it hurt. Yeah, it did some damage to me, but guess what? I'm no longer holding that against you. I love you, and I'm willing to forgive you. And so if we want to honor God with our expectations of others, we need to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Listen to me. How important is forgiveness? It's ultimately important. At the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, If you can't forgive other people, then guess what? Your Father's not going to forgive you. It's important for us to forgive other people because, listen to me, when you don't forgive, you hold yourself in captivity and bondage. When you don't forgive, you're the prisoner that's not set free. The other person lives life and doesn't even know anything's gone wrong. So it's important for us to forgive other people. That's how we can honor God with our expectation. So, folks, so church, when we have joy in our justification, when we have glory in God's grace, when we triumph over tribulations, and we praise in patience, when we exalt through experience and honor and hope, then others are able to come to Christ because we rejoice when there seems to be nothing to be joyful about. In this world of give and take, there's not enough people given what it takes. If we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, He ought to be enough for us to live for as well as enough for us to die for. We should be willing to, to put ourselves on the back burner for the sake of other people. 
Jesus gave his all for you and me. The least that we can do is give our life back to him. Some today, you don't know how to do that. Some of you today don't know what joy is all about because you don't know Jesus Christ. I'm going to share a true story that happened in the 1924 World Series. The Washington Senators were playing the New York Giants and the best hitter in the league. Started doing a little study last night. He was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1968. His name is Goose Goslin. And Goose Goslin, in one of the games in the World Series, it was actually in game number nine. In the World Series, the score was tied up and he was brought in to hit because he had a batting average of over 389 for the season. He already he was almost a triple crown winner and he was a lefty and the pitcher was on the mound. The coach came to him and the manager came to him and said, I need you to hit the ball. We've got a runner. We need to score. We need to do something. I need you to create something. You're the best hitter we got. It's coming down to you. It's a 3-3 tie. We win. We go home. We win. Goslin said, sure, whatever, I'll, I'll get up and do my best. And so he comes up, and the pitcher winds up, and he throws a fastball. Boom, right into the catcher's mitt. Strike one. The next pitch comes barreling by. Strike two. Goslin steps out, kind of shakes his head, and his coach is over there, and his manager's shaking his head like, man, what am I doing? What is he doing? He's the best hitter in the league. Why isn't I in? Hey, hit the ball. He comes in, steps into the, into the plate. The next ball is high. The next ball is in the dirt. Counts 2-2. Two, two. Pitcher winds up. Goslin winds up. He sees the ball. It's right down the middle. He gives it all he's got with the left. He hits the ball in the gap between the, the right fielder and the center fielder. And it goes out, and it kind of just dead hits right at the bottom. Another fence. He takes off running with everything he's got. He's going as hard as he can. He goes to first base. He takes off going to second. He looks out there, and the center fielder and the right fielder are kind of having an argument over who gets the ball. And finally, the right fielder picks up the ball and makes the throw as hard as he can going to the shortstop. By this time, Goslin is rounding second base, giving it his all, going to third. He's getting ready to slide, and the coach does this, and then goes this. And so he pulls up out of his slide, takes off with all he's got, steps on third, and heads to home. The shortstop catches the ball, turns and makes the throw, perfect strike to the catcher. It's going to be a bam, bam play at the plate. It looks from everybody that's in the stands that Goslin slides in, his hand gets to the plate before the ball is to the, to the catcher, and then the, the tag is made. And all of a sudden, it's just this place goes crazy because they just knew the Senators had won the World Series. Goslin hit him in the park home run. He ended the series. Game over. And they waited. And they waited because the ump never made a signal. And finally the ump came up and he called him out. And everybody looked and started going crazy. They started throwing beer bottles and pop bottles out on the field. They were so upset because everybody could see he had beat the throw home. And the umpire comes out and he stands over home plate and he turns and he dresses the crowd. He throws his hands up. He says, please, please, please let me, un let me explain so you'll understand. And he cups his hands over his mouth and he says, the runner's not out because he didn't beat the throw home. The runner's out because he never stepped on first base. You see, there's some people here today. We're playing games with God. We're living this life for ourselves. And we go to church. We do the thing. We say our prayers. We're a part of a Sunday school class. We give our tithes. We've been baptized. Everything 
But guess what? We don't know Jesus Christ to be Lord in our life. We've never stepped on first base. And we're going to be called out at home one of these days and never make it to heaven because we've never trusted Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. Some of you today cannot and do not have joy because you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be Lord in your life. And I invite you today to change that. I invite you today to make it right with Him. God is calling you. The Bible says today is the appointed day and hour for salvation. For others of us who know Jesus Christ, many of us need to come and we need to create an altar. There's a lot of parking stuff up here. It's going to be a little hard, but you know what? I think it'll work. And a lot of us who call ourselves Christians in the church, we need to come to an old-fashioned altar, and we need to pray, and we need to repent, and we need to say, God, forgive me. Forgive me because I haven't been joyful in my justification. Forgive me because I haven't glorified you with, for your grace. Forgive me because I have not triumphed in my trials and tribulations. I haven't praised you with patience. I haven't exalted you through experience. And I'm not honoring you with my hope. God, forgive me. Many of us need to come. And we need to ask God to forgive us. So listen to me. Do I share this with you? Do I share this with you to scare you? No, I share this with you because it's true. I share this with you because there's some people here today, even in this parking lot, who do not know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. You've played games. Oh, you prayed prayer, you've been dunked in the tub, but something else is Lord in your life, and it's not Jesus. I tell you this today because, listen to me very carefully, as I study what's going on in the world scene and behind the world scene, everything is in place right now for the Antichrist to rise, for God to come and rapture the church. Are you ready for that to happen? And do you know lost people who don't know Jesus? Because if that's the case, if you're not ready, you need to be ready today. And if you know there's other people who don't know Jesus Christ, then we need to fall on our face and we need to cry out to a holy God. God, give me the opportunity to tell them about you before it's everlasting too late. Draw them to yourself. So church, it's time for action. It's time for us to rise up and be the church that God's called us to be. Now we can, or we can't. It's all up to you. Are you willing to? Can you rejoice and have joy when there seems to be no joy? Not because of who you are, but because Jesus Christ is your Lord. Do you know people who are lost and need Jesus? I'm going to do something crazy today. I'm going to ask my daughter to come up and play. Randy, you can come up and play if you want to. I'm going to ask him to do something. I'm going to ask him to play. I know there's enough room up here in this old-fashioned drive-in parking lot altar. Maybe you need to come and you need to exalt somebody's name before God. Maybe you need to pray for somebody who needs to get saved. Maybe you need to come and confess and repent yourself. Maybe you need Jesus Christ. I'll tell you how sure and secure I am in my salvation. If you've got the, the coronavirus and you come up and you want me to lead you to Jesus, I'm going to break the six-foot rule. Because your salvation is worth a lot more than my life is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this day, and thank you for your love and your mercy and grace. God, I pray that you have given us a hope today, an encouragement today, Lord, that we can have joy when there seems no joy. When there seems to not be any joy around, God, that we can have joy because 
of what you've already done in our lives because we know Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior. So, Father, I pray right now that you'd work, that you'd move in a powerful way, that your presence.